And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Saw Needham, and coming up on the show, in wake of this Roe v. Wade, this, uh, I guess, preliminary decision that was leaked, suggesting that Roe v. Wade might be overturned. We're going to talk about it, but from a different perspective, a little different perspective. Now, back in January 2022, so this year, we talked about Roe v. Wade, should it be overturned. It was episode 111. So if you really want to get more into it, you can listen to tonight's podcast, and then you can also go back and listen to episode 111. You can do so by going to RadioWarp.com. That's RadioWarp.com, and click on the Two Steps Head podcast, the icon or the logo, click it on and the shows will pop up either on YouTube or on our SoundCloud accounts. And then you can listen to it and get more in-depth information that might be a little bit different from what you hear tonight. But we've covered this topic a few times on the show, at least two more times that I can think of offhand. And I find it fascinating that every time this topic comes up, It's always the same, same, same old thing that's being brought up. You've got, you know, if men don't have a uterus or men don't have a uterus, so therefore they don't have a say. It's always the fetus in the womb is not life. It's just a clump of cells or something else. It's uh, about a woman's body, woman's choice, women's rights. And so it's always the same thing over and over again. And And each time we delve into it, it gets a little bit more and more and more insane, maybe. I mean, recently we just, in fact, I think it was today, as of this broadcast, there were protests going on at the Supreme Court justices' homes. And I think recently one journalist said it was really scary at one of them. Maybe it was Kavanaugh's something he had never seen before. And then you get rhetoric coming out of the White House saying that, oh, we haven't seen anything. Kind of like CNN when the building was burning behind the reporter and he said it was a peaceful protest and like there's this building on fire burning to the ground. So you get a lot of rhetoric. You get a lot of people with a lot of passion. You get some people with some insanity. I mean, you go to social media and you get all kinds of nonsense. You get people in hysterics. You get people acting juvenile. You've got people just outright spreading lies. Now, apparently, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, contraception will be overturned. And it's going to be a big baby boom. So there's all kinds of stuff, all kinds of nonsense. And the truth gets blurred. We'll talk about that. And the most important thing that gets completely lost, because, see, this thing, this conversation is always happening in the political realm. I mean, you've got Elizabeth Warren out there yelling and screaming. You've got other people like Chuck Schumer, who's a male, so I don't know why he's talking about it. But anyways, um, you've got him screaming, we need to codify Roe v. Wade. And they're hastily putting together a bill that they can vote on, which ironically does not mention the word, the, the word woman or mention women. It takes all that language out. So I'm not really sure what they're trying to prove with this law because, again, it's supposed to be about a woman's right to choose, but now women are being taken out of the conversation or the cisgendered. 
And so, again, it's getting a lot crazier and crazier every time we talk about it. And the other thing is, this is something, along with immigration and along with some other long-standing, decades-old battles that we've been having in the political sphere, probably should have been handled a long time ago, addressed a long time ago. And so we're going to talk about all that. But again, as we get started, you ask people, what is Roe v. Wade? They have no idea. They have no idea who Roe is. They think Roe is obviously the person who sued, but they don't really know who the person is. And nobody really knows when you ask, hey, who's Wade in the Roe v. Wade? Nobody really knows who Wade is. And so to set context, let's start off with a a piece of audio here that really kind of, kind of gives us a good, unbiased history of what actually Roe v. Wade is. Most Supreme Court decisions are granular, little-noticed interpretations of the law and constitution, but a few are landmarks. Roe v. Wade was a landmark. It effectively legalized abortion across the United States. Here are the facts and players in the case. Jane Roe was actually Norma McCorvey. She was a Texan in her early 20s who wanted to terminate an unwanted pregnancy in 1969. Abortion was legal in Texas at the time, but only for the purpose of saving a woman's life. That was not the issue for McCorvey. Her life was not at risk. She tried unsuccessfully to get an illegal abortion and was referred to two attorneys interested in challenging anti-abortion laws. The Wade in Roe v. Wade was Henry Wade, the district attorney of Dallas County, who enforced that Texas abortion law. McCorvey soon filed a case against him. The Supreme Court agreed in 1971 to hear the case, and on January 22, 1973, struck down the Texas law in a 7-2 decision. Justice Harry Blackman wrote for the majority opinion and declared a woman's right to privacy under the 14th Amendment superseded a state's right to ban abortion. The court set different rules for each trimester. In the first trimester, the choice to end pregnancy was entirely up to the mother. In the second trimester, the government could regulate but not ban abortion in order to protect the mother's health. In the third trimester, the state could prohibit abortion to protect a fetus that could survive outside the womb except when the mother's health is in danger. Justices Byron White and William Rehnquist dissented. They basically held the argument of privacy went far beyond the intentions of the constitutional framers, an argument that could signal the grounds for challenges to Roe. The two justices also stated the court's decision did not stick to the specific facts of this case because Roe was not in her first trimester at the time of the litigation. Public opinion was quickly shifting. In August 1972, Americans opposed legalized abortion. 46 to 42 percent. But by April 1973, it was 52 to 41 in favor. In the years since, Roe's been modified but not overturned. A notable example was in 1992, a case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. For all intents and purposes, this is the new standard by which abortion cases are judged. The focus this time wasn't privacy, it was roadblocks, which had been intentionally set up to make it harder to get an abortion. In a 5-4 ruling, the court said restrictions are unconstitutional if they place an undue burden on a woman. Support for Roe v. Wade remains strong. A Kaiser Family Foundation poll in June 2018 found that 67% of Americans do not want the Supreme Court to overturn the ruling, while 29% do. The question now, of course, is what the Supreme Court will do with a solid conservative majority. Okay, so in 1973... You had a case brought before the Supreme Court 
and the ruling was a right to privacy. The ruling never said that the Constitution said that women had a constitutionally protected right to abortion. It was just the right to privacy. Now, quick note, for those who say men don't have a say or shouldn't have a say in abortion, now I know what you mean is pro-life men should not have a say when it comes to abortion. That's what you're really saying. Because here, seven men, seven justices, basically voted in support of a woman's right to have abortion or allowing abortion to become legalized on a federal level. So what you're really saying when you say you don't want men to have a say or men shouldn't have a say or if you don't have a uterus, you shouldn't have a say, what you're saying is pro-life men don't have a say because here seven pro-choice justices basically gave you what you wanted. Okay. So that's the history of Roe v. Wade. Now, the other interesting thing is that, which I'm going to be curious to find out the whole, if you don't have a uterus thing, well, what if you're a trans woman? Well, you have a say because the whole woke culture is starting to really muck things up when it comes to that liberal ideology and the dialogue and the talking points. Because again, you have a Supreme Court justice that was just uh, affirmed or approved to the Supreme Court that's going to be taking over when Justice Byer steps down, who couldn't identify the definition of a woman. And now this new law that's being proposed in 2022 eliminates wording for women and cisgendered women. And so it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out from the woke culture. But that's a little bit of the history, okay? So as we get into this, the whole point is we're going to be talking about, or a majority of the time, spending our time talking about the forgotten voices, the survivors of abortion, people that have survived, mothers who went to terminate the pregnancy, but the child survived and was born. What about them? What about those lost voices? I'd ask the question to pro-choice people, what do you think of survivors of abortion? What do you think of women who have survived abortion? I'd be curious to find out what people had to say. I mean, how do you view them? They survived what you wanted to happen. And the other question I would ask is, there was a time when I asked uh, some friends that were women if they would ever get an abortion. I spent a couple months asking different people about this. And most of them said, no, they wouldn't consider it but they still wanted to have the right to have an abortion. And I thought, that's curious. Why would you be so proactive in a right to have an abortion when you would never consider it? I always found that interesting. And then the other aspect is the push, the push. Why is there such a push to get women to go down that road, have a procedure when you would never consider it yourself? I found that curious. And so we're going to explore the abortion survivor's perspective here on the program to give you something a little bit different that you might not be aware of. And again, should they have a say? I mean, if you haven't had an abortion, if you hadn't experienced an abortion, so who's the people that should really have a say? Maybe the survivors should have a big voice because they went through it. And what are their lives like today? 
The other thing we're going to find out, which I'll touch on a little bit later after we get into it more, is the response of people, okay? The response of the pro-choice people when they think that Roe v. Wade might be overturned, like the Elizabeth Warrens, for example, that hostile, angry, vile, evil people on social media going so far as to making up things like contraception is going to be overturned and outlawed. Somebody even said interracial marriage. I think that's floating around. They said that Justice uh, Clarence Thomas is going to push for the end of interracial marriage. Well, he's a black justice and he's married to a white woman, so I'm not sure how that works out. But again, that's the ideology of the left. So when it comes down to it, what are some common reasons for abortion? Okay, so that's what we're talking about. Why? You hear a lot of different reasons or a lot of excuses. It's a woman's right. But when women do go and have an abortion, what are some of the reasons? So here are some of the reasons why women go in and have an abortion. And keep in mind, okay, this comes from a medical place that deals in this type of service. What are the common reasons for choosing an abortion? Did you know, according to the National Center on Health Statistics, that almost half of pregnancies in the U.S. are unplanned, and many will get pregnant while using birth control. For every 100 women who rely on the pill for one year, nine will get pregnant. And for every 100 women who rely on condoms for one year, nearly 20 will get pregnant. You're not alone. Given the data, there are many women right now in the very same situation as you, and they're asking themselves. Today, we're going to ask an important question. Why do women choose abortion? Welcome to Her Smart Choice. What if you're looking at a home pregnancy test that reads positive? You're likely wondering, what do I do now, especially if it's an unplanned pregnancy? Maybe you're not ready at the present situation or don't want any more children. Most women who consider abortion say it's more than one factor that contributes to their decision. I want to address some other common reasons for choosing an abortion. You can't be pregnant right now as it's not a good time to be pregnant or parent a child as it'll interfere with school, career, family, or your other responsibilities. You are not able to afford to raise a child. Your current situation makes it hard to be pregnant or a parent a child. You have problems in the relationship with your partner or you don't have a partner and don't want to parent a child on your own. You learn the fetus has a problem or there are birth defects. You have health problems that make pregnancy difficult or risky. The pregnancy is the result of a sexual assault. A healthcare provider can discuss your options and help you make an informed decision. Okay, so some of the reasons again. But first off, you have to realize if you engage in sexual activity, 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. So keep that in mind. If you engage in sexual activity, there's a good chance you're going to get pregnant. If you rely on the pill, nine out of every 100 will get pregnant within the year. That's 9%. 
20 women out of 100 that use condoms will get pregnant. So if you're using birth control pills or using condoms as birth control, 30% will end up in an unwanted pregnancy, or maybe even though I guess it would be unwanted because you're taking the protection, precaution, but you're going to end up pregnant. And it's going to be a part of that 50% unwanted, unplanned. Now, not every unplanned pregnancy is going to be terminated. Some people have an unplanned pregnancy and they're like, ooh, we're having a kid. Yay. Surprise, surprise. Older people, they might have been done with their child-rearing days, or maybe they've got kids in high school, and then all of a sudden, or maybe junior high, and then all of a sudden, oops, here comes another little one. And so the, you know, the miracle child, the blessed child, as they call them, I guess. And so, again, just because it's unplanned doesn't mean it's unwanted. But for those that have an unplanned pregnancy that becomes an unwanted pregnancy, it's not a good time. You've got school, you've got career, you've got family, and it's just not a good time to, to, get, to have, a, have a family, to have a, a baby. You can't afford a child. I always find that one curious because I don't know anybody that really can afford one. I mean, I guess if you're well-to-do, but there's always expense coming up, different expenses that you can't even dream of. The current situation makes it hard. Relationships with the baby daddy. you got issues. Don't want to raise the kid alone. Question, if a woman has the right to choose and terminate despite what the father says, if you believe that, okay, then why are you down on the dad if the dad decides to walk away from the pregnancy and the woman, the mom decides to keep it, but the dad doesn't want it, so he decides to walk away? Why do people look down on that? You know, it's the same type of thing where you look at a, a girl in school who sleeps around and she's the slut, the dude that sleeps around, he's the stud, even though they're both doing the same behavior. That's unfair and uncalled for. So if the mother decides to terminate the pregnancy, but the father wants to keep it, you're okay with that? And if you are, if the mother decides to keep it, but the dad wants to walk away, is he a deadbeat? Or is he just exercising his right, his man's right to walk away? It's an interesting dilemma. you got birth defects, fetus problems, another reason. Or mom has health issues. Or then, of course, sexual assaults are in there. I know a guy whose wife battled cancer and beat it. It went to remission. But they wanted to have another kid. And the doctor warned him the cancer could come back, but the mom wanted to try for another child anyways. Mom got pregnant, cancer came back, they kept the child, mom eventually died from cancer. And so that's a hard thing to deal with, the health of the mom. So I can understand that's a personal choice. Obviously sexual assault, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have to carry around a baby after 10 months after, uh, for 10 months after what happened. But see, that's the problem here. The problem is we're talking about issues and things that go on with people that you want to put in the political realm and you don't care about what happens to the people. You just want the laws to be in place. You tell me Nancy Pelosi really cares whether or not you have an abortion and what happens afterwards. She's not there holding your hand, making sure you're okay. She's not there with post-abortive care. She doesn't care. She just wants to have the politics of it. Elizabeth Warren just wants to have the politics of it. 
All these other people just want to have the politics of it. Okay. Now there's a lot of people that do really care, but it's a big problem that needs to be discussed because it's not a simple answer. There's no simple answer to this. That's why when someone says, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Well, it's not a simple answer. It's saying yes, this, no, that. There's a lot of things that go into it that need to be discussed. And one is fathers, and the other is survivors. So those are some of the reasons. So it was broken down, okay, a survey was done of 2.4 million women who had an abortion in the states of Florida, Louisiana, Minnesota, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Utah from 96 to 2020. So it's pretty recent, okay? Now, it gives people an accurate estimate of the number of hard cases. Hard cases are considered um, save the life of the mother, preserve the mental health of the mother, rape or incest, birth defects, eugenics, okay? All those things apparently comes to 3.5% of abortions. Quick note, if there's rape and incest involved, especially, well, it doesn't matter. If there's rape and incest involved, why aren't we prosecuting and going after the people that are doing the rape and the incest? So if you're for, if you're for abortion because of rape and incest, you should also be for the prosecution of these people because they're committing a crime and they need to be locked up because they're taking advantage. If especially, again, it doesn't matter, but especially the young, you hear about these laws where they don't want parental consent. They want to allow 11, 12, 13-year-olds to have an abortion. What about the, the dude that's raping them? You should be more concerned about going after these predators than trying to hide an abortion from the parents. So if 3.5% are hard cases, then 96.5% are for social or economic reasons. Elective because basically it's unwanted and it's not going to fit my lifestyle. Okay, the, the Guttmacher Institute puts the number of abortions done for hard cases under 7%. So even the Guttmacher Institute, they did a survey of several women obtaining abortions. Who's the Guttmacher Institute? It's the research arm of Planned Parenthood. So Planned Parenthood of America has a research group and 7% or under 7% are hard cases. The rest, 93%, according to them, are, I just don't want the kid when it comes down to it, social or economics. Okay. Now, here's, let's get into the meat of it. Now that we've set the table as to the reasons why, what is Roe v. Wade, and a little bit of my commentary. This is what I want to get into, okay? Sue Ellen Browder wrote a book, okay? She was a freelance reporter for Cosmopolitan Magazine. She wrote a book recently. Well, I guess it's been a number of years now, but I recommend you get it because it gives a lot of insight into things. Her book is called Subverted, How I Helped the Sexual Revolution Hijack the Women's Movement. Okay, And so she talks about several things in the book, how they had the women's movement in the 1960s. Before the 1960s women's movement and before the sexual revolution, contraception and abortion was not a part of the women's movement. Then after she got involved writing articles and her... Uh, Cosmo Lifestyle and a bunch of other people that she was kind of involved with pushing this information. Only then did the uh, abortion and contraception become a part of the women's movement. But here's what she has to say about how you sell something like abortion, something like a women's movement. This is how you go about selling it. 
I'm going to go back just a little bit. Well, no, let me let me talk to you first about how you sell things to people. Because how did I get involved in all this? There, people ask how propaganda works. Propaganda is half truth, selected truth, and truth out of con- context. When you, how do you sell pianos? Okay, people say, oh well, you teach, you know, this piano sounds good. No, 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 no. You sell pianos by selling the music room. You run ads, you run uh, pictures of beautiful music rooms in House Beautiful, in Architectural Digest. You sell Middle America on the idea that they need a music room, and then they will just naturally think of a piano. How do you sell fancy clothes, makeup, travel, contraceptions, and abortions to young women? You sell them on the Cosmo lifestyle. And if once they've accepted that Cosmo lifestyle, those other things will just naturally follow. So here's someone that was heavily involved in getting contraception and abortion into the women's movement. And again, I suggest you read her book, Subverted, How I Helped the Sexual Revolution Hijack the Women's Movement. She talks about half-truths, selective truths, and truth out of context. So you get things like, is the uterus life? No, it's not. Seriously? You're really going with that? That the uterus is not life? I mean, even in abortion laws, you're talking about growth and development. First trimester, second trimester, third trimester, 18 days for a heartbeat, extra six weeks should be the cutoff, you know, post-birth abortion, like, and even like uh, what that former Virginia governor, Northrop, post-birth abortion, we can make it nice and comfortable. Then if you decide to get rid of it, we can terminate life. So even in the conversation from pro-choice people talking about abortion, you're talking about life and the development of a life. So, yes, there is life in the uterus. It's a person. It's life. So, again, half-truth, truth out of context, selective truth, getting you to buy into the fact that the uterus is not a life, even though the ridiculousness of it is that it is life. Then you go on to some of the other things, like it's a woman's right. See, instead of selling abortion, you know what? You should, you should kill your child. You should take it to a doctor and have any number of procedures done so the life gets terminated. Well, if you did that, nobody's going to do it. Instead, you make it, it's a woman's right to choose. It's a woman's right to, and you make it about women's rights. And then everybody's like, yeah, women's rights. You're selling the piano room, not the piano. Naturally, everybody then goes and gets a piano because they've bought into the Cosmo lifestyle, the sex in the city lifestyle, the whatever lifestyle it is that's out there now. Okay, and so again, remember, she said half-truth, selective truth, and truth out of context. And that's a big thing that goes on, especially when you put it in the political realm. It is half-truth, selected truth, and truth out of context. And people buy into it. I would ask people today, okay, Sue Ellen Browder was around in the 1960s, right? She's still alive today, but she was around writing for the Cosmo Lifestyle and Cosmopolitan Magazine when all this was taking place in the 60s, okay? And so naturally, a lot of things are just established that people automatically just assume and take on pretense. Oh, I'm pro-choice because I'm a woman and it's a woman's right to choose. But have you really sat down and thought about what and why it is you think that way? I mean, seriously, have you ever thought about why do you think of it? Or do you just accept it because someone else says it's okay? 
I mean, that's how we get into all these problems is people don't have free thought to think about. And then if you go opposite, like we see today, if you think something opposite, if you think something independent, you're shouted down. If you don't agree with the masses, you're shouted down. You're protested. You're silenced. Why is that? Because, again, in order to have their way, they need to cut out opposition. Because opposition and free thinking might get you to change your mind. Like it has so many people. So, again, we've set the table. We've talked about what Roe v. Wade actually is. Gave you some history, some background. We've talked about the reasons why women have an abortion. We talked about Sue Ellen Browder laying the foundation of how you spread propaganda. Half-truth, truth out of context, selective truth, okay? So that's all good and plenty. But now when we get to other things like, what about men? What about men and abortions? I mean, think about the impact. First of all, we don't really talk about the impact of after or post-abortion impact, mental health. Think about it. Women give birth and they have postpartum depression, right? Postpartum depression so much so that they might even take the life of the child they just gave birth to. So think about that. Post-birth care is important. What about post-abortive care? See, there's nobody there for that. They just walk in, have the procedure, walk out, and they're good to go. Maybe maybe if they're lucky, they're given an antibiotic or something so they don't get an infection. Where's the post-abortive care? See, we don't even talk about that. Pro-choice, women's rights. What about the woman afterwards? Nobody's there for the post-procedure care, the mental support, the emotional support. And that's the same, especially with men. I mean, think about men and the impact, whether they are for it or against it, whether they had a say in the matter or not, whether the mom just decided on her own, on her own or maybe the dad pushed. In our episode back in uh, January, in episode 111, we talked about, I think it's the Alliance for Life and Liberty or something. They did a survey. First, they did a survey of women that did have an abortion, and they found out that one of the main influences in them getting an abortion was the man, the father, pushing. And so they would acquiesce to that pressure. So men do have a say because they're the ones pushing it. And then when they asked men whose, I guess, woman that was going to have their child, the mother had an abortion, they asked what was the main influence. And I think it was like 40% of them, a large number, said that I was, or they, they were, the influence that pushed them to have an abortion. So men are the ones pushing this. Because, again, you get your, oops, I had an affair, had a pregnancy, got to get rid of it. Oops, I'm a person in power, I can't have this, it's scandalous, got to go. I'm a politician, an actor, whatever the case may be. It's an escape, Okay. So men are a significant factor when it comes to abortion. So people that say, if you don't have a uterus, you don't have a say. Well, you're the very ones listening to men to go get it done. You can go do the research yourself and find out. But this is very true. And then the guy takes off and leaves. And then you're left all alone. Yes, you just go do this and then we'll be okay. 
I mean, start out with fast times at Ridgemont High. I mean, that is exactly kind of what happens. Guy gets girl pregnant. Guy convinces girl to get rid of it. Guy bails, and woman is left with the aftermath. That's how it goes. But if women suffer, you know men have got to suffer. And so here is the impact that men have when it comes to abortion. I was adamant about it, you know, to the point to where, you know, I was going to offer to pay for it. And with the help of a friend, she went and had an abortion. The moment that I found out that she had an abortion, I was devastated. The weight of guilt was just so overwhelming for me. And I was just terrified. It all stopped. The room was silent, and they said, we're done. It was a success. It was later in the evenings as I would go to bed, I began to cry. And even though it's been decades um, since the first two were lost, um, obviously there's still an emotional place that comes up. The depression that I went through for such a long time over it really, really set in. It didn't just mess me up, it messed her up as well. Mentally, emotionally, we both started drinking heavily, which we didn't do much of at all. We both started using drugs, which we never did at all. I continued in a lifestyle of um, medicating with alcohol, marijuana, and I just continued to just sort of push that pain that I had felt initially away. It, It was too easy. It was too quick. I wish that someone had been out in front of that Planned Parenthood willing to just offer information and alternatives. I wish that there had been opportunities to know about other choices. And there was just something profoundly that hit me that was like the wind was blowing and I immediately had this epiphany. I would encourage anyone who's thinking about terminating a life to see if they could seek out and talk to someone who's been there before. So I called her on the phone and I told her, I said, look, you need to keep this baby. Who's been able to say, this is what it means to me five years down the road, 10 years down the road. And I said, I'll be there with you, you know, every step of the way. I would just encourage them to go and get with someone safe meet with another guy, meet with some others that would be able to let him share that story and do it in a way that they would be compassionate, understanding, and uh, not in any way shaming or guilting him more, but to let that burden out. It wasn't all wine and roses after the fact, but my son's eight years old, and uh, he completely changed my life. And I'm so glad that I didn't choose free will and and make that mistake. See, the impact there is real for anybody that has experienced it or gone through it. So tell me again how this is just a woman's thing. It impacts men greatly. The severe psychological impact the mental health impact, the emotional impact. I mean, we heard about 
drug abuse, alcohol abuse, the pain, the suffering, years and decades later. And then the one guy talking about how he changed his mind, had an epiphany. You should keep it. Eight years later, the best thing he ever did as an eight-year-old son. It's too easy. Just like that, the room went silent. And it's over. What are some alternatives? What are some other choices? See, we can't talk about that because pro-choice doesn't allow for that. These are real people. Some of them may have gone on and still had the abortion. But maybe they had the opportunity to talk to somebody about it instead of just getting it crammed down their throat as this is the only solution. You know, I posted a clip from the episode 111 that I did earlier. I posted it on social media, and someone responded, cavalier, a a cavalier off-the-cuff response. I don't understand why a man would ever have a say when it comes to abortion. Really? That's what you're going to go with? You're going to go with that same old tiresome explanation? You've never come up with anything new. It's always the same reasons all these years later, and yet we're supposed to have an emphasis on mental health these days, on emotional support, on psychological support. But no. And then what will the future hold? I mean, think about it. Look at the reasons, okay? The reasons now are 97%, or if you want to go by the Planned Parenthood Research Plan, 93% are social and economic reasons, okay? And so when you think about those reasons, again, I'm not ready for it. It's going to affect my life. I'm going to school. My business can't handle it. I'm not ready. Baby daddy issues, et cetera. That's in the moment. Those excuses are in the moment. Those reasons are in the moment. But what happens eight years down the road? What happens 10 years down the road? Maybe something's different. And maybe at that moment, when it seems so bleak and bad, you fast forward, it's not so bad anymore. It's not an easy road to go down. Absolutely not. Whether you choose to have it or choose to terminate it, it's not an easy road. But it's a life-changing event one way or another. And here's the difference. If you give birth, and let's say you decide, no, I don't want it, I'm going to give it up for adoption. You can always, at some point in time, for the most part, find and reconnect with your child that you gave up for adoption. There's that possibility always remains that that's an option. Once you terminate the life, there's no going back. That decision is final. That decision cannot be changed. And so when you think about it from those type of perspectives, maybe it alters things. Maybe for some of you it doesn't. But think about down the road what life can be like. Maybe right now I can't handle this. Adoption. Down the road, a reconnection. Those are always possibilities. But once you make the decision and once the termination is done, that's final. There is no going back from that. 
And that's the thing that makes it really difficult. And that's why it's hard because you have such a time pressure, six weeks, whatever the stipulations are time-wise as to when you can or can't have one. It doesn't allow you time to consider all these things because you have to decide now. And the solution is we'll terminate it and you'll be fine. Everything will be okay. And that's the method they go about doing it. Now, there's this uh, video I'd like to play. Actually, if you're watching, it's a video. If you're listening to the audio, it's uh, audio, obviously. It's a montage of survivors of abortion. And this is what these survivors had to say. He looked me in the eye. Can you look me in the eye and tell me that I shouldn't exist? That I should be dead? That I deserve to die that day. Can you look me in the eye and tell me that my very survival was a mistake? A terrible toll on society? Can you look me in the eye and tell me that in my most vulnerable state, I was nothing more than a parasite? A collection of body parts. Subhuman? Worthless. In 1952, I survived multiple abortion attempts. DNC abortion. An instrument abortion. DNC abortion. A abortion. Heritage abortion. A vacuum aspiration abortion. An induced abortion. Saline infusion abortion that was meant to poison and scald me to death. I am the face of choice. I am that choice. These are actual human beings who survived abortion procedures when they were still in their mother's wombs. These are the eyes, voices, and faces of choice. Choice is not merely a word. Choice is a person. Choice is a person. Choice is a human. Choice is life. Think about all these people that have survived an abortion. And there's a lot of prominent ones that you can find out there that speak against abortion because they went through it. They suffered. A lot of them have a disability, whether it be a physical disability, maybe their arm isn't formed or they've got body parts that haven't developed properly. Others have emotional issues, mental issues, developmental issues. There's all kinds of issues that they're struggling with day in and day out because of what they went through, because of the procedure that they experienced, but yet they came out alive. And despite all that they went through, they are happy to be alive. Despite what they go through, they're happy to be alive. Despite what their future might be like, whether it's their health, whether it's their mental health, whether it's their physical disabilities, 
whatever it might be, whether their future holds, they're happy to be alive. But yet they're the product of choice. What do you think about that? Melissa Odin is a survivor of abortion. Mother wanted to terminate her, but she survived, and this is her. I'm Melissa Odin, and I'm the survivor of a failed saline infusion abortion. In August of 1977, my biological mother, as a 19-year-old college student, had this abortion forced upon her against her will by her mother, my maternal grandmother. This type of procedure involved injecting a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid surrounding me in the womb. The intent of that toxic salt solution was to poison and scald me to death. Typically, that procedure lasted about 72 hours. The child would soak in that toxic salt solution, being poisoned and scalded, and that solution would turn the skin bright red as it peeled it away and moved internally into the organs. After the child's life was successfully ended, they would induce labor with the intent of that deceased child then being expelled from the womb. We actually know through my own medical records that I didn't soak in that toxic salt solution for just three days, but actually five. While they tried time and time again to induce my birth mother's labor. On that day, I was delivered believing that I would be a successful abortion, otherwise known as a deceased child. But here I was, accidentally, born alive. When I was delivered alive in that abortion procedure, I weighed a little less than three pounds, two pounds, 14 ounces, which indicated to the medical professionals that my birth mother was much further along in her pregnancy than the 18 to 20 weeks that the abortionist had written on my medical records. And in fact, when a neonatologist examined me, he remarked he estimated me to be about 31 weeks. You would never know by looking at me today that when I survived that failed abortion, the prognosis for my life was very poor. I suffered from severe respiratory and liver problems, seizures. The doctors thought I had a fatal heart defect initially because of the amount of distress that I was under. And so they were very guarded about what my future might hold. But I have continued to live and I have been loved. I was loved mightily by my adoptive parents, no matter what they were told about what my life was going to look like. And now I am loved by my biological mother and members of her family who now stand by my side. See, one of the interesting things that you hear from these survivors that's completely different from people pushing the pro-choice agenda in the political arena. In the pro-choice political arena, people, when they hear Roe v. Wade, might get overturned. You get evil, hatred, vile behavior. You get protests at the justices' homes, something that a reporter says he never witnessed before. You get outraged. You get people screaming on social media, spouting their opinions, anger, hysteria. But then when you look at these survivors, you get a message of forgiveness to their mother who tried to kill them. 
You get a message of love, being loved by an adoptive parent, reconciliation with your biological parent or biological mom. You see, that's the difference. People that survive abortions seem to have a different message, and they experienced it. They're the face and the voices of choice, and their message is different compared to those out there yelling and screaming from the steps of some building somewhere in D.C. Why is that? You would think that these abortion survivors would be the ones that are screaming and yelling and mad. Maybe they're the ones that rise up against people that put them in this position. But it's not the case. Now, sure, they're outspoken against abortion, as well they should be, as well as their right to be. Who are you to tell them they don't have a voice in the abortion debate when they experienced it? Have you spent five days in a saline solution meant to kill you? Don't think so. So who are you to have say? Who are you, young person, that hasn't even gotten to the point of having a child or wanting a child? Who are you to say versus these voices? See, it brings a whole new dynamic to the conversation when we bring in survivors and what they go through and the message they bring of hope, restoration, forgiveness, love, compassion. They embrace. Gianna Jensen is somebody that you can find online, a bunch of videos. She has uh, several palsy from her abortion. And she goes on, and when she talks about it, she says she is honored to have several palsy. Why? Because she's living today. She's a miracle, and whatever she's going through, Whatever the ailment that she's suffering from, it's an honor for her to have it because she is alive today to tell her story, to get the message out there of love, forgiveness, compassion, reconciliation. Rebecca is a mother who was pregnant and decided that she wanted to terminate the child, and this is uh, Rebecca's story. My name is Rebecca, and in 2013, I began a medication abortion when I was just over seven weeks pregnant with my second child. Because I was only 18 years old, a college freshman, and a newly single mother of a 10-month-old son, I feared my parents would kick us out and therefore felt that abortion was the only way out of this hopeless and scary situation. Medication abortion is marketed as less invasive, less expensive, natural, and easy to hide. Because of this, it accounts for 40% of the abortions taking place today. I was told that the first pill I would take, called RU-486 and commonly known as the abortion pill, would simply end my pregnancy. I was instructed to take the second medication, misoprostol, 24 hours later at home and without any medical supervision. What I did not know is that the first pill deprives the growing baby of progesterone, therefore ending their life. 
And the second medication is actually given to women in active labor, causing them to dilate and contract. Unbeknownst to me, I was going to go into labor at home, completely alone, over a toilet, and then was expected to flush my baby. It's awful and humanizing, and women are extremely underinformed about the reality of medication abortion. Minutes after leaving that clinic, however, I panicked and instantly knew I had made the worst decision of my entire life. I sought help from a doctor who used progesterone to counteract the first abortion pill I ingested, and my son, Zachariah, became one of the first babies to survive a medication abortion through abortion pill reversal. Zachariah is perfectly healthy, and I look at him every day and see hope, redemption, and grace. He's funny, smart, adorable, and he is just as human now as he was in utero, and it never needed to be my life versus his, even though that is how some women feel. They are not empowered or informed. They are desperate. I want women to know that children are not a burden and that success and motherhood are compatible. I want everyone to understand that there's hope healing and redemption after every mistake hope healing redemption grace think about that she said it was dehumanizing she was going to go home alone and do this on her own 18 years old she has a 10 month old 7 weeks pregnant decides she can't handle this so she wants to terminate it and the manner in which she's going to terminate it she says alone and dehumanizing. Where's the women's rights there? Where's the people that are cheering her as she walks into the abortion clinic? Now are they jeering her because she decided not to? Were they going to be there for her to walk her through this, to be a support? No, she was going to be alone. She talks about education. You know, education is lacking. You know, we, we talked about it earlier. 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. If you're on some sort of uh, pill, 9 out of 100 women are going to get pregnant in a year. If you're using uh, condoms, 20 out of 100 women are going to get pregnant. It's going to happen. If you are engaging in sexual activity, you're going to get pregnant. You're going to be dealing with this issue. Maybe there's some things that can be done with sex education. Maybe you have to alter your lifestyle. Maybe you have to come up with some more creative ways to get gratification so that you don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to end up with an unwanted pregnancy. You know, I talk to people, you know, people that know me know I enjoy having uh, beer. I enjoy craft beer, experiencing different types of beers. But here's the one thing that we all have in common. If we go, well, most of us have in common. If we go someplace and we have to drive, we don't drink. Or if we do, maybe it's just one, okay? Because we're cognitive of the fact that if we drink and drive, we could get arrested and go to jail, lose our license, pay a lot of money, and it's a nightmare. We're aware of that. So we don't drink and drive. Now, there are some people that do do that, and unfortunately, bad things happen when they do. But for me, I don't drink and drive. I'm going to be responsible. But yet, there's a lot of people out there that realize that the end result of sexual activity is a pregnancy, but they don't care. You don't care. You just carry on. Why don't we think of it in terms as a DUI? Because, again, something bad can happen if you drink and drive. If you're not wanting, 
If you're the 97% that think it's a bad time because of your school, your job, or your career, if you think you can't afford it, or you think you have issues with the baby daddy, whatever those 97% issues were that you're dealing with, maybe you think there might be some birth defects, whatever the case may be, if you don't want a child, maybe you should engage in alternative forms of sex. Son, that's crazy, is it? Because then you don't end up in this situation because even though you are taking precaution, there's a strong chance you could get pregnant. In fact, the expectation should be if I engage in sexual activity, the outcome will be a pregnancy. Maybe that's a better way going around it. And if we have more education on that and people have a better understanding, what about personal responsibility? taking control of yourself and being like, you know what? I don't want to get into this. I'm not ready. Therefore, I'm going to be responsible and take action. That's what it comes down to. I mean, think about it. If you don't want to be this, if you don't want to be like the men earlier that described their experiences that led them to drug and alcohol abuse, Mental health, psychological, emotional, distress, issues. Years and decades later, possibly. Or dealing with a survive, a survival from an attempt to terminate. If you just want to avoid all that, maybe you need to uh, rethink how you engage in your adult behavior. I want to play one more, Denisha. And again, with Rebecca, the mother... She was going to do it alone, by herself. Drop the baby in the toilet and flush. How humane is that? Denisha, a survivor. Here's her story. In December of 1975, I survived a DNC abortion. A strong, determined, single mom raised me. And now, in my 40s, I learned a piece of my story that I wasn't aware of until now. See, in October of 1975, my mom found out that she was pregnant with me. And in December, she chose to have a full DNC abortion. By February, she discovered that the abortion had failed and she was still pregnant. The laws at the time dictated that she was too far along to attempt another abortion. She was angry, afraid, and wanted to sue the hospital. But I was born full term in July of 1976. Finding out this information shocked me. I don't know how or why, but I am so grateful that I survived. I catch myself thinking, what if? What if I hadn't survived? What if that December day was the end for me? See, abortion is not a simple fix. From the decision to the aftermath, there is nothing simple about it. My mom passed away decades ago, and I wish she were here with me now. Because if she were, I would tell her that I love her, and that I forgive her, and that I understand that she made a decision that was hard at the time. But you know, you can't give away what you don't have. 
And I have experienced the love and the forgiveness of Jesus in my life. And I would want her to experience that same kind of love. So I'm sharing my story now to encourage other women who have had an abortion that there is forgiveness, that there is healing, and there is hope. You can reclaim your story through Jesus. Maybe my story will shed light on a complicated topic, and maybe during that moment of choice, another woman would choose life. My mom had a choice. I am the face of choice. I am that choice. See, again, another message of love, forgiveness, hope, understanding, healing. That's the message that we've heard from these stories of people that have survived these heinous acts where their life is trying to be terminated, but they survived. These are the voices that should have a huge say, don't you think? Because the other side gives us Anger, vitriol, hysteria. Roe v. Wade's overturned, therefore contraception is going to be outlawed. Interracial marriage is going to be banned. The fetus inside the womb isn't life. It's a woman's right to choose. A man doesn't have a right because he doesn't have a uterus. Half-truths, truth out of context, selective truth. As Sue Ellen Browder said, influences, it comes down to who's influencing you. We've talked about this on the show many times. Who's telling you this information and why are you believing them on your own? Why won't you do your own research? Why won't you do your own thinking? You think about social media and the impact social media has, especially on young people, celebrities making it cool, baking cakes, my abortion cake celebrating my abortion, celebrities saying that, yeah, I'm glad I did. It made me who I am today. You know, they're in denial. A depraved mind just doesn't know. If you've had an abortion, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. There's forgiveness. There's hope. There's redemption. Talked with a guy one time, was working with a guy. He was a little bit older than me. And he was, I don't know how it came up, but he started talking about how his regret. He had a girlfriend or maybe it was a couple throughout his life that he ended up taking to an abortion clinic. I think it was three times. And now he's older in life, single guy, wishing he had kids, but realizing now the prospects were he wasn't going to have any. Now regretting that decision back then. Because in that moment, that decision seemed right, but fast forward to the future, and now it seems wrong. You see, there is no easy choice. There is no easy fix. It's not a simple fix. There's a lot more to it that people don't want to talk about. They can't have the conversation because they get enraged if you speak out against it. If you go on social media... People are outraged about it. I remember back in the 80s, you had these people, these pro-life extremists that were trying to blow up abortion clinics. Not the way to go about it. And they were the ones that gave the pro-life movement or the pro-life people a bad name. It seems like the script has flipped. 
Now we see people in front of Supreme Court justices and their houses threatening them. I guess Justice Alito had to be taken away to a private location because his life was in danger. Yet people yelling and screaming. Where are we at today? Why can't we have dialogue? Why can't we have conversation about it? He posts something on social media and erupts into an argument with strangers that we don't even know about. But these are the voices, these survivors. These are the voices and the face of choice. Shouldn't they have a say? The fact that Planned Parenthood talks about that they are for women's health, yet they really don't look at the or talk about the fact that they're a billion-dollar-a-year industry. $533 million of your taxpayers' dollars go to them every year. An abortion costs about $600 on the average. Do the research. Look it up. An abortion clinic is never in Beverly Hills, the Upper West Side, or the Hamptons. It's always in the lower socioeconomic areas. Why is that? If you find a abortion clinic in Beverly Hills or the Hamptons or the Upper West Side, whatever part of the East Side, West Side, whatever's the posh side of town, let me know because I couldn't find one. I looked for it. Couldn't find one. It's always in the places, the lower socioeconomic places. Why is that? Planned Parenthood's own research talks about 93% at least is not hard cases that involve the health of the mother or a birth defect, something like that. It's elective because it doesn't fit my lifestyle right now. Men, you're pushing women to get these abortions. Stop doing that. In fact, be responsible and say, you know what, we're not going to engage in this type of behavior. I'm not telling you to, obviously, absence is the best way. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to stop having sex. That's your choice. But maybe you might want to rethink how you engage because if you don't want to be a part of these statistics or put yourself in a situation like these men where you have to make a decision and then have the ramifications and the fallout of those decisions, like the DUI, are you going to drink and drive? Risk arrest, accident, hurting yourself, killing somebody else? Or are you just going to take a Uber or a designated driver? Take responsibility is what it comes down to, personal responsibility. Educating yourself on how things work. Do you even know how someone gets pregnant? Do you know the process of it? Maybe you should figure that out. There's a lot of things that we don't know that we probably need to figure out as we engage in this conversation. But as things move forward, a decision is going to be made. And as of this broadcast, it seems like the decision might be an upset of Roe v. Wade. What does that mean? If you want to be honest, you can do your own research and figure it out. But Roe v. Wade basically federalizes the abortion issue on a federal level. If it gets overturned, it just reverts things back to the states. States' rights. Because basically the Constitution 
If it's not in the Constitution, it reverts to states' rights. See, if we were teaching this in school, people would understand this. But we don't teach this in school. We're more concerned with genders and bathrooms and pronouns. But people would realize that states can decide. Last I checked, close to half the states in this nation lean a little bit to the left. Some extremely to the left. All we hear about is the politics of Florida, Texas, and California. Extremes, maybe New York, right? Maybe Illinois, Chicago. I don't think much is going to change, unfortunately, because it's going to remain in the political arena. And we're not going to bring it back to the humanistic, to the human. Are we going to continue to have dehumanizing activity like Rebecca talked about in her story? Or are we going to start to look at this from a perspective of people, a perspective of humans, emotions, feelings? We need to take a look at this somehow and have a conversation because there is no easy fix. There's not a one-size-fits-all. You come to me and say that I was sexually assaulted, I'm pregnant, I want to get rid of it. I fully understand that. That would make total sense to me. I would hope that you would change your mind, but makes total sense to me. Completely understand that. If you came to me and said, oh, no, I was cavalier in my sex and me and my boyfriend got pregnant, but, you know, we're going to the Bahamas in six months and I can't have a baby bump. Come on. See, we've gotten to the point where abortion becomes our contraception, becomes our birth control. I think that's where it's wrong. So if asked, are you going to quickly Say, I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-life. You're going to think about it. Realize the ramifications, the consequences, everything that goes into it. Are you going to have compassion because somebody was a victim of sexual assault? It does happen. The life of the mother. Maybe there is a birth defect. I work with special needs kids right now. They're hard to work with. I can't imagine. I get to send them home at the end of the day. Love working with them. I'll miss them when the school year's over. But I can't imagine. I get to send them home and then decompress. Parents are always on. So I can understand that. I understand that. Makes sense. But then I think about the students that I work with, and I'm like, wow. I would be deprived of working with them if they weren't here. And that would make me sad. Because we don't know what the future holds. And in the moment, what seems right might not be. Down the road, things might be better. But so as you continue the conversation, don't just pick a side and stand your ground and be firm in it. Who's influencing you? Why are they influencing you? Are you just accepting what they say? Are you going to question what they say? Are you going to accept their half-truths, their selective truths, and their truth out of context? Or are you going to make up your own mind? Are you going to understand that things happen? 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. 9% of women on the pill get pregnant. 20% of women using condoms get pregnant. It's going to happen. Men, the driving force or one of the main reasons why women have an abortion. All All these things come into play. And if you put this on a canvas, you start to see a different picture than the political world. 
This is Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. Hey, you can check us out on uh, RadioWarp.com, Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. You can click on the uh, Two Steps Ahead Podcast uh, logo, and then our show page pops up. There's shows on our YouTube. There's shows on our SoundCloud. All our past shows are there, so if you want to watch or listen, if you go to SoundCloud, you can download it and take it with you on the go. We're everywhere podcasts are played, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, you know, any place that you can listen to a podcast, we are there. You just search Two Steps Ahead Podcast with that T-W-O, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Hey, Google. Hey, Surrey. Hey, Alexa. Play Two Steps Ahead Podcast. We pop up. And then also, if you want to find us on Instagram, the show page is T-W-O, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. And then there's a Linktree link in the bio that will send you to all of our different places. Uh, YouTube, SoundCloud, etc. My personal page is Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. And again, the same link, tree link is there. If you'd like to reach out, you can DM me on one of those places or you can send me an email. Again, two with the T-W-O, two steps ahead podcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for being with us, being open to this conversation. If you have some feedback, let me know. Hit me up. If you know me personally, you've got my number, hit me up. If you want to send me a message, uh, a number that you can reach me at. I don't really have that phone on me all the time, but if you left a message or a text message, I would eventually get it and get back to you. 626-676-8972. 626-676-8972. Not sure if the uh, voicemail set up yet, but that's a number that I check out on occasion, kind of have for instances like this. So uh, let me know what you think. Thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. Take your passion. Make it happen. Let yourself be great. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, signing them. We'll see you next time.